Hello there. I'm James. I'm the pastor of the Freedom Moravian Church, and you have found The Essentials. It's a little podcast that I put together for us to spend some time exploring our faith, to celebrate the good news and the hope that we experience in this life. For today's episode, I have our message from Sunday, August 20th. Our first reading was from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. Joseph could no longer control himself in front of all his attendants, so he declared, everyone leave now. So no one stayed with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians and Pharaoh's household heard him. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father really still alive? His brothers couldn't respond because they were terrified before him. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they moved closer. He said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold to Egypt. Now don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me here. Actually, God sent me before you to save lives. We've already had two years of famine in the land, and there are five years left without planting or harvesting. God sent me before you to make sure you'd survive and to rescue your lives in this amazing way. You didn't send me here. It was God who made me a father to Pharaoh, master of his entire household, ruler of the whole land of Egypt. Hurry, go back to your father. Tell him this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master of all of Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You may live in the land of Goshen, and you will be near to me. Your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and everyone with you. I will support you there, so you, your household, and everyone with you won't starve, since the famine will still last five years. You and my brother Benjamin have seen with your own eyes that I am speaking to you. Tell my father about my power in Egypt and everything you've seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. He kissed all of his brothers and wept, embracing them. After that, his brothers were finally able to talk to him. Our gospel lesson came from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, it was verses 21 through 28. From there, Jesus went to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came about and shouted, Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But he didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, send her away. She keeps shouting after us. Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it's not good to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. And right then, her daughter was healed. Here ends the reading of our word. So after five years of being in ministry now, I feel like I have had all of the kinds of sermon writing experiences I could have. I have finished my sermon on Monday afternoon. I've stayed up late Saturday night without a single idea in my brain. And I'm even getting to the point where I think of a story that relates really well to the passage for that week. And I have to slow down and ask myself, did I already tell him that story? I'd hate to repeat myself. But I know for a fact this week was a first. This was the first sermon that I've written while a meatloaf song was stuck in my head the entire time. With every word I typed, my head was singing. And I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. However, the poet and the expert on love, Meatloaf was actually spot on with his assessment there, because love makes us do crazy things. Now he's talking about a romantic type of love, but we do all kinds of things for our family and friends that we might not normally do. It was out of love that I spent Friday afternoon in August helping my cousin move into a new house. And I needed to remind myself how much I care for him as we looked at the fridge that was the exact same width as the front door and we had to seriously consider if sending it through the window would be a more realistic option. Now, thankfully, there were stronger people than me there, and I was tasked with removing doors so the fridge would fit instead of actually carrying part of this beast. But I had to remind myself of that love over and over as we worked hard on a hot afternoon. It was also out of love that my parents would drive two hours, four hours, or sometimes eight hours on a weekend to watch me run for maybe 28 minutes while I was in college. It was really the only silver lining there was if I had a bad race, because the longer I was out there running, the more my parents got to watch. Love makes us do some silly things. It makes us do what we normally wouldn't. When it comes to the health of a child, there's really no limit to what love will inspire us to do. There was a movie back in the early 2000s that Denzel Washington was in called John Q. And Denzel plays a character that has a sick child. And when he finds out his young boy needs a transplant, but insurance somehow won't pay for the procedure, Denzel takes matters into his own hands by holding an entire hospital hostage, literally hostage, 
demanding that they operate on his child. And when you think in the eyes of the law, what he does here is illegal, it's reckless. But from just a human point of view, you somehow relate to him. He's a father who's willing to go to jail, willing to lose his own life in order to save his son. Now, maybe it's not the best plan, might not be the safest one, but you can't really blame his desire to do whatever it takes to be there for his child. And we get just a glimpse of that in our lesson for this morning, as the Canaanite woman is begging Jesus to heal her daughter. And her approach isn't as extreme as Denzel's, but she has the same goal. Save her daughter, no matter what. She shouts at Jesus as he's walking with his disciples. She follows him, kneels at his feet in desperation. And then when Jesus speaks harshly to her in an attempt to get her to go away, she challenges his words with the perfect response. She is not going to be denied. As we hear this story, we marvel at her love for her daughter, and we know that desperate feeling. We know we would do the same thing if we were in her shoes and Jesus had the power to heal. And as we relate to this Canaanite woman, we're then met with perhaps the most uncomfortable image of Jesus that the Gospels provide for us. His response to this woman can leave us with a lot of questions. Now, in their eyes, this woman, this Canaanite woman, is a foreigner. She's someone who didn't belong, someone who doesn't deserve the time of day, yet alone a healing touch. And she's a nuisance to Jesus and his followers. And when she won't go away, Jesus shows us just a taste of the world that he lived in. Because he says that he was sent to save the people of Israel. And that's it. He doesn't have time for outsiders. Besides, serving her wouldn't be fair when there's still many of his own people who are in need. So he conveys this message by telling the woman that it wouldn't be fair to give the children's food to the dogs. And by saying this, he's calling her a dog. Not a cute pet name or a term of endearment, but a brutal insult. Jesus does not look great here. And how we receive his actions depends a great deal on how we wrestle with his humanity and his divinity. We believe he was both fully human and fully God, that he could feel every emotion and experience just as we do while remaining completely divine. And knowing him for his divinity, knowing him for being God's son, can take this interaction and allow us to see it as Jesus testing this woman, 
He's not actually being harsh. He's not really being cruel. He has a plan this whole time. He wants to see how great her faith is. And if she responds in the correct way, which she does, she'll receive her reward. Leaning on his divinity can spare him from what would be an embarrassing moment. But I wonder what happens when we embrace his humanity here. Because we relate to his anger as he flips tables in the temple. We also relate to his anguish and his desperation in the garden or on the cross as he feels like God has forgotten about him. In those moments, his humanity isn't a weakness. We don't try to cover it up. But it actually draws us closer to him. It's comforting to know that Jesus experienced the same things we experience. Frustration and anger. Moments that feel totally helpless. His humanity, though, it's harder to embrace here when he turns away a person in need. It's like we're okay with him having a human response to various life circumstances, but we'd still expect him to serve all people. And that's why we like to think of Jesus having a plan with this Canaanite woman, because that's far preferable to him rejecting someone. But living into his human side, his humanity, I'd like to believe that Jesus had room for growth. That over the course of his life, he would have a different sense of how he understood his purpose. That in his human life, I think he could learn from experience like we do. Or that he'd be allowed to change his mind or change his teaching when he found a better way. That maybe, just maybe, from the culture and the world that he lived in, one that was defined by race and status, Maybe his initial vision was that he was sent only to save the Jews, not the Gentiles. That he was here for his people, not foreigners, not outsiders, not Canaanites, and the like. That might have been his human worldview based on what he experienced in his life on earth. But then he came to a better understanding. Could there be anything more divine than that? To be able to learn and grow as a person? To expand your definition of who deserves God's love? To pursue a reality where all people truly belong? And that's what I see Jesus doing today. He finds himself in a world that is obsessed with the differences we have. And he faces how 
it causes us to see someone for their otherness first. And he sees there's a problem with that, a problem with the world he is living in. And he takes that first step to include someone who was once on the outside and bring them in to God's love. That's his divine purpose as we witness him living this human life to see what's wrong with the world, with the way we do things, to make a change so more people are included. And that purpose he lived with is one that we are called to model. So for us, that means having an open mind, challenging what's normal in our culture and society. It means seeing things and doing things differently when we realize people are being left on the outside. It means changing our approach to bring them in. As we go about this life, it happens in ways that we can't fathom or comprehend. It'll be asked of us when we aren't ready or prepared for it. But Jesus needs us to walk with him. To bring more people in. To bring truly all people in. And tell them they belong in the arms of God's expansive love. Amen. I thank you for stopping by for this episode. You can learn more about the church that I serve. It's the Freedom Moravian Church. You can check out our website. You can find us on Facebook. You could worship with us on YouTube if I ever get the internet to cooperate on a Sunday morning again. Otherwise, you can learn about Moravians in general by going to moravian.org. So be well. I will catch you next time.